So we're looking at James chapter 3. We're going to finish this chapter today, Lord willing. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Let's review James before we jump, jump in and read today. Um, all right, I want to ask you a question. A couple of them. Here's the first one. What is James describing? Any of you remember? A cruciform life. Is that what I heard from 15 people at the same time? Yes. James is describing a life shaped by the cross. So that James is not a to-do list. He's telling us about what a life shaped by Jesus looks like. Second question, how is God motivating us? Yes, God is motivating us to live by grace. How do we like and how are we typically motivated? By what? Deficit, right? Look at your jobs, think about your life, think about going to the gym. You are constantly being motivated by deficit. You're not producing enough, produce more. You can't bench press 300 pounds, work harder. Everything in our lives is geared toward motivating us by deficit. And God wants to motivate us by grace. So I'll ask you this again. Will you please be open to the idea of being motivated by grace? Will you, will you be open to that? Will, will the motivation that you get from your deficits not weigh as heavily in your life as living your life from the fullness of Jesus Christ? If he is your life, then be motivated by everything that he is for you. Did you get a list of it at the assurance of pardon? Who became for you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, all those things? Let that motivate you to live. Third, James is, fit, fits in with uh, the vision of our church. Loving God, loving people, loving place. By being, see if you can help me finish this, mumble through it, ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. That's what God wants for us. To be ordinary people doing ordinary things. Thinking about the gospel all the time. I'll mention a quote I said to you a number of weeks ago because this will help you understand this passage today, perhaps um, more than what I, whatever I'll say. Remember this quote by C.S. Lewis. In the ancient world, the fundamental question was, how can I conform my soul to reality? And the answer is wisdom. The modern question is, how can I form um, my soul? I'm sorry, I, I messed that up, didn't I? The first one is, how can I conform my soul to reality? The second one is, how can I conform reality to my soul, what I want? How can I take what's true and turn that into what I really want for life? And the answer is methods, techniques, tricks. You get the difference? All right, last thing before I read. For those of you that really like to study, I want to give you two quick things that I can't dive into a lot today. So for those of you that like to read and study and, and meditate on things, when you see, look in verse 13 of James 3. You see the word, let him show by a good life. Do you see that? The word good in verse 13 is not moral, good, like moral as opposed to immoral. The word good there is the word for lovely or beautiful. So James is actually encouraging us to live a beautiful life. How about that? 
And then at the end of verse 18, you see the word peace twice at the very last phrase. When James says that, he's not talking so much about peace with God as he is the holistic thing that produces righteousness, the entire thing. In other words, he's really talking about this Old Testament idea of shalom, wholeness, complete, consistent, comprehensive, fitting together, health. So I want to leave you with those or give you those two things on the front end because we won't talk about them a whole lot this morning, but we will a little bit. So listen to this. This is God's word. James 3, 13 through 18. Again, this is God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, beautiful conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that during this time you would do more than what we were expecting as we came here today. Would you do more than what we could imagine? Would you do more than we can even fathom? Would you show us our Savior afresh? Would you, Holy Spirit, make our Savior irresistible again and again to us that we might learn how much you have done for us and love us and that we might worship you and give you all that we are? We pray this for your glory. Amen. Here's the roadmap this morning. We're going two places. The first is this. There are two types of wisdom. You can see, perhaps you notice as we read the text, there's two types of wisdom. And our second stopping point will be relevant. Just that idea, relevant. So two types of wisdom and relevant. Now here's the main point of these verses. This is the big takeaway. God, through James, wants us to win at life. That's what these verses are about. Winning at life. Now, we normally think of winning in these ways, and it's more than this, but it's not less than what I'm about to say. We normally think of winning as successful. We normally think of winning at life as um, getting respect from others or others respecting us. We normally think of winning as being comfortable in life. Uh, amassing wealth. Those are all ways that we think about winning. In other words, if we have some or all of those, then we can see ourselves as real winners and others as real losers. James wants more. God wants more for us. Not that kind of winning. God wants us to navigate the realities of 
of life. That's winning. Navigating the realities of life. So a roadmap, two kinds of wisdom, relevant. The main point, God through James wants us to win at life. Meaning, we can navigate through the realities of life. So let's jump in, shall we? Let's think about these two kinds of wisdom. You notice the first one that jumps off the page is there's this earthly wisdom. Now what's interesting is that we have to think about that for a moment. Otherwise, we'll turn verses 14 and 15 into this and 16 into this just list. What is worldly wisdom? What is wisdom that we see all around us all the time and experience and live into? What is worldly wisdom? Let me give you some mantras. <clears throat> it's more than this, but it's not less than what I'm going to tell you. Worldly wisdom is where we find, uh, is what we hear, the messages we hear when we listen to the radio, when we watch TV, when we listen to podcasts, when we are at Target and listening to people's conversations or at dinner hearing what people are saying, when you're talking to your neighbors. It's the way that people think and operate. So what are some of those mantras? What are some of those things that shape and are anchors for a worldly wisdom? Well, here's some. It's more than this, but it's not less. Here's some mantras of worldly wisdom. You can do whatever you want as long as you just work hard enough. You are what you feel deepest. Whatever you most deeply feel, then that is who you are. That's a mantra. That's worldly wisdom. Here's some more. I deserve a good life. You hear that in commercials. You hear it on the radio. Listen to it in podcasts. You hear it everywhere you go. You might even realize that we're tempted to think that as well, Right? I deserve a good life. Here's another aspect of worldly wisdom. This world is all there is. This world is all there is. Now, beloved, can you see that if those mantras are the way that we live our lives, then what is produced is this. Look at verse 14. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. You get it? If I deserve a good life, then guess what? Something doesn't go my way, I'm going to be bitter. If I deserve a good life and something doesn't go my way, then you know what? I want what this person has. You get it? If, if, my life is about what I feel most deeply, then there's going to be all kinds of selfish ambition and bitterness and jealousy because other people may not see it that way. And even goes on to look at verse 16. It leads to every vile passion. Do you notice that in the world that we live in? There's another phrase he mentions in verse 16. Disorder. You get that? You see, earthly wisdom produces selfishness and bitterness and envy, 
where I want what someone else has. Worldly wisdom produces disorder and chaos everywhere. And it gives birth to every vile passion because if, hey, if what I feel deep is who I am, then I have the right to do whatever I want to do and it doesn't matter if I hurt you or not. You see, the root of all of this is found in verse 15. This way of thinking is, what does the text say? Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly wisdom takes us all the way back to the garden. You remember that time? No, you don't. But if you can, try to get there in your brain with me. There was a time in which God made things and there was bliss. Everything was work and worship and rest. But then Satan interjected something. Do you remember this? Does God really know? He interjected the thought of, you know what? I think God is withholding from you and me. I don't think he really knows what's best. I mean, remember this that Satan said? Uh, if you do this, God knows that you'll be like him. Do you remember that? Now, as a quick sidebar, what could, have, what could Adam and Eve have said in response to that? That we'll be like God? We already are. We're made in his image. But Satan's big question and temptation was, don't you think you should be better than you are? Isn't God withholding from you? He's not really meaning what he says. And when he tempted and we gave in, what happened? We, poison was injected into everything in life. There's poison in us. There's poison in others. We encourage poison. There's brokenness everywhere. There's rebellion everywhere. There's sin everywhere. There's death everywhere. There's disease everywhere. All because, all because, we decide that we think that we know a better way to live. And it is earthly. And it is unspiritual. And it is a message that Satan and his companions have been trying to spread for millennia. And it's super attractive to us. The essence of worldly wisdom is this. I want to live a life of taking. Not giving. Taking. The way that I approach life is pretty closed-fisted. I want what I want. Whatever I feel is the way, is who I really am. If I work hard enough, I can get whatever I want. I deserve a good life. This life is all there is, closed-fisted. Well, James gives us another wisdom to think about, doesn't he? There's earthly wisdom, and then we see in these verses that there is an otherworldly wisdom. Now, this is, this is a wisdom that's very different from earthly wisdom. Here are some mantras. Here, here are things that if you read the Bible, you will find. And there's more that I could say. There's more to this, but it's not less than what I'm going to give you. Otherworldly wisdom has these mantras, these sayings that you can find everywhere throughout the Scripture. Explicitly, implicitly, lived out. 
And these mantras go like this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But the grace of God in me was not in vain because I worked hard, but not I. But Christ within me, grace at work within me. Here's another mantra. Jesus said these very words. If anyone wants to find life, they have to lose it. If anyone wants to follow me, he has to take up his cross. He has to die daily. If you want to find life, if you want to understand what true life is according to Jesus, you got to die. You got to die to yourself. And the way you think about things, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about the world, you got to die to your wisdom, you got to die to your power, you got to die to your control, you got to die to your skills, you got to die to everything to find life. Here's another mantra love your enemies. That doesn't get a lot of airtime that I've noticed in the world that we live in. Love your enemies? Let's see if I can think of another one. Hmm, yes. Greatness comes through serving. So if you want to be great the way God talks about greatness, if you want to pursue greatness, it doesn't come from position, it doesn't come from authority, it comes through service. Do you know what those mantras produce? Do you know what is produced with this other worldly wisdom? Look at verse 17 and 18. First, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You get it? If I have to lose my life in order to find it, then I better be open. If I have to love my enemies, then I need to be someone who is willing to reason, who is willing to listen. I am someone who cares about other people. If I have to love my enemies, that changes everything about who I am, doesn't it? If I am what I am by the grace of God, then that means I have no right to think that I'm superior to anyone. Therefore, there can be peace between me and others because I'm not better than anybody else. It means that I can be gentle. It means that there can, I can be full of mercy and good fruit. It means that I will sow seeds of peace because I know that peace is needed because <laughs> I see conflict everywhere. Bitterness, selfish ambition, Chaos, disorder. Do you see it? In other words, the essence of otherworldly wisdom is this life is about giving, not taking. It means life is open handed, not closed fisted. It means life is opening up more and more not turning in and curving on self more and more. All right, so let's catch our breath. James's point is that he wants us to win at life, and I should have told you from the beginning, we're gonna back our way into this text because it's really hard to understand. 
And James is saying that he wants us to win at life. So you might be thinking, well, what, what relevance does this have for me? Why is this? How can winning and wisdom fit together? What in the world does that mean? How is this relevant? How is this going to change my life? How is this helpful for me every day of the week? Well, here goes. When James talks about earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, just know. He's not saying that otherworldly wisdom is a skill that you need to add to your skill set. It's not a skill. It is the direction of your life. Do you get the difference? He's not saying, you know what, try to be more peaceable. He's saying you have to seek something that isn't from this world. And when that happens... Then you will be peaceable and gentle and willing to yield and you will produce fruits of righteousness and mercy and peace. James is not saying you need to add something to your skill set. He's saying what is the direction of your life? In other words, he is not setting out here is earthly wisdom and here is otherworldly wisdom and you make a choice. He's not saying that. He's saying when you hear the explanation of earthly wisdom and otherworldly wisdom, he's saying which one are you more attracted to and which one do you need? Do you get it? He's not setting before you a choice and saying pick one or the other. James knows from his own heart that we are all bent toward wanting one of these and it's not the right one. We're all bent toward earthly wisdom, serving self. We're all bent toward conflict. We're all bent toward selfish ambition, all of us. So it's not so easy to say, here's one, and now choose the other, is it? That's why he starts with this question, who is wise among you? Because he's trying to get into our hearts and into our minds. He's trying to get to the core of our being. And he's saying, who is wise among you? Because when you look at earthly wisdom, does that describe you? Describes me. When you think about otherworldly wisdom, does that seem somewhat foreign to you in your life? Who is wise among you? Let him show it by a beautiful life. Well, what is a beautiful life? It's one of gentleness and peace and being willing to reason and showing fruits of mercy and sowing peace. That is a beautiful life. Do you see it? Now, if you'll allow me, I'm going to be very raw with you and uncut. And I'm going to try to process this in my own life in front of you. So if you hear this as me trying to set myself up as a paragon of wisdom, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to take a big risk here. I'm going to be very open with you. The reason I gave you those things at the beginning about winning, respect, comfort, amassing wealth, What were the other ones? Sorry, can't remember them. Getting ahead, successful. 
Those are things that I think about. But guess what? Those things met cancer for me. Getting ahead of what? Comfort? I want to live. I don't care about comfort. I want to live. I want to be cured. Respect? Who cares? What does that really matter to me? Quick sidebar, I do want your respect. I hope you hear what I'm saying here. It's not most important. Amassing wealth? I'm not in the right profession for that. But to go deeper, I want my family to be taken care of. If I'm not here. And I can't take the wealth with me anyway. I want what lasts. I want what can't be taken away. I don't want what can be taken. God has pushed me and pushed me through this to get through all of that mess because he wants me to be more committed to Jesus and the gospel than I've ever been because I realize where else can I go? Where else can I go? This job isn't a crutch for me to get success. This job is not a crutch for me to get respect. This job is the way I'm supposed to get into Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm processing, I'm telling you what I've been going through these number of months because he's pushing me harder than I've ever been pushed. And there have been other times in my life where I have experienced really hard things and it's the same thing has happened as what I'm describing to you now. In other words, what is your cancer? What is it? What is it that has pushed you to where you actually think through what actually matters and what you think matters and what actually matters? What is it? Because I realize that today could be the first day of your life that you look back through the struggles that you've had and you process them through a gospel lens, not through the lens of comfort or amassing wealth or respect or getting ahead or being comfortable. So how can we, how can I continue to get this otherworldly wisdom? How can I get more of it? Because I need more of it. Do you? How do we do it? How do we get more of this otherworldly wisdom? How? I'm going to tell you two ways. The first, go back to chapter one, trials. When you see that you need this otherworldly wisdom, more than likely it's because you've been through a trial. You remember what that is? 
A trial is this pressure from the outside that cracks you open to where you get to the end of yourself and you realize you got nothing, like bankrupt, nothing. Trials are the way that we come to the end of ourselves and realize that we lack something. And what we lack is wisdom. So beloved, when you go through trials and you can encourage me in my trial that God has a purpose for it and it's to bring me to the end of myself that I might recognize I need him in deeper ways than I've ever imagined. The second way that we get more of this wisdom is this. It comes down. Do you see verse 15? It's a wisdom that is not earthy and unspiritual and demonic. It comes down, which means that it is heavenly. It is spiritual. It is from the throne. It means that this type of otherworldly wisdom is a gift. And the way that we access and receive this gift is to come to the end of ourselves through our trials. That means that when you look back through your life and you realize that every trial that you have faced, you just white-knuckled your way through it, outlasted it, gritted your way through it. It means that that has had no redemptive value for you. The times that you got fired, the times where your expectations weren't met, the times where you could see yourself struggling, those were meant to bring you to the end of yourself. Because that trial means that you need something from outside of you that comes down. It means that this otherworldly wisdom is not a skill, it's not a choice, it's a gift of God that he works into us. So I hope it's unmistakably clear now what it means that wisdom comes down. It is a person. Remember? Wisdom is a person. It's Jesus. He is the one that comes down. He is the one who is fully God who became man. He is the one that is full of the Spirit. He is the one that came from the throne. And what did he do? He was wise. He was the embodiment of wisdom. And what did he produce with his life? Peace. Gentleness. Willing to reason. Merciful. Good, fr good fruits everywhere. He was the one that had the beautiful life, right? I'll illustrate this for you, and then we're done. In Luke 7, there's a story. There's a story of Jesus at Simon's house. Simon was a super religious guy, and he was with a lot of his religious friends. And as they were there at dinner, a woman showed up. You remember the story? And she came into the house, and she started washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and her hair. This was scandalous. She was a known sinner. 
And Simon was upset. He was upset with her. Why did she show up? And he was upset with Jesus for why in the world would he entertain this woman? Why would he let her wash his feet with her tears and her hair? And Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, because this was custom in the first century when you had someone to your house, it was custom. A guest came to your house, you wash their feet, you greet them with a kiss, and you give them and anoint them with oil. Guess what Simon did when Jesus came into his house? Jesus said, Simon, you didn't wash my feet? You didn't anoint me with oil? You didn't even greet me with a kiss. This woman came into this house because of how much she loved me. And you think that something's wrong with her, Simon? Well, that sounds an awful lot to me like someone who is bitter and jealous, who has selfish ambition, who believes in disorder and whose life is producing disorder. And Jesus, as uncomfortable as it might have been, knew exactly what was happening with this woman. And she was forgiven, not because of what she did. She did what she did because she was already forgiven. She was there promoting peace and love. She was there doing good things, showing mercy, giving all that she had. Beloved, do you see yourself as Simon sometimes? Where people come in, you're like, well, what are they doing? Forgetting how much you've been forgiven? Do you see yourself as the woman sometimes where you just get so broken and so overwhelmed with the love of God that you're just doing everything, throwing everything you've got at Jesus, praising him, receiving from him, thanking him, loving his people, loving your enemies. Do you ever see that in your life? I hope you do, because you can. But what changes everything and enables us to do that is what Christ has done and who we think Jesus is. That's what changed this woman. That's what enabled her to do everything that she did. And that's our only hope. That what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection and through his perfect life is what then enables us to love others the way that he has and continues to love us. That is winning at life. That is a life of wisdom that's outside of us. That is a beautiful life.